today we start our Christmas messages, and I always look forward to that. Uh, today and tonight we're going to run our Zoom program, and that's uh, pretty exciting that uh, technology makes it possible for uh, us to bring these services to you there at uh, your home for many of you. And right now I'm up on the big screen in the uh, sanctuary, and that's pretty exciting too. But uh, as we do this, um, I'm just impressed with the technology that we're able to uh, put all this together. So uh, what I am going to do is lead you through Psalm 98 today. Uh, please join me to Psalm 98. There's nine verses here. We are going to talk about joy today, uh, the joy that we have uh, in the Lord that we also have in this world, the song, Joy to the World. So Psalm 98, it's a psalm. If you're following along, it says, A song, a psalm, oh, sing to the Lord a new song, for he has done wonderful things. His right hand and his holy arm have gained the victory for him. The Lord has made known his salvation. He has revealed his righteousness in the sight of the nations. He has remembered his loving kindness and faithfulness to the house of Israel. All the ends of the earth have seen the salvation of our God. Shout joyfully to the Lord, all the earth. Break forth and sing for joy and sing praises. Sing praises to the Lord with the lyre, with the lyre and the sound of melody, with trumpets and the sound of the horn. Shout joyfully before the King, the Lord. Let the sea roar, and all it contains, the world, and those who dwell in it. Let the rivers clap their hands. Let the mountains sing together for joy before the Lord, for he is coming to judge the earth. He will judge the world with righteousness and the people with equity. Heavenly Father, we open up your word this morning, and we spend our time in it uh, to get a better glimpse of you. And I pray, Lord, that uh, you might work in our hearts today as we focus on this text to encourage us and to uh, make us more like you and to uh, just uplift us in every way. We thank you, Lord, for your constant care in our lives, for the beauty of our season before us, and uh, for the fact that you're with us. We give you the praise. In Jesus' name, amen. I love that phrase, oh, sing to the Lord a new song. What a way to start a psalm. I, I think we're ready to sing. It sounded like that as I listened to you uh, sing this morning here. What, what's a Christmas without uh, Christmas music? Uh, I love music. You know that. I love Christmas music. It's been on in my office for quite a few months. And uh, so uh, I have already started in on the music thing quite a while ago. Uh the interesting thing about this is today I want to talk to you about joy. And uh, I know our challenges in our world today are pretty big. Uh, we have probably a lot of reasons, if we were looking for things to complain about, uh, to be depressed about, to uh, whine about, we have lots of things going on. We have issues from medical to economics, perhaps, uh, for some. We have uh, issues, you know what they are. I, I don't have to go through all these and, and tell you what makes a heart heavy. Um, 
just an hour and a half ago, my father went to be with the Lord. And uh, for me, that's kind of a mixture of, of a heavy heart and yet a joyful heart uh, that I can rejoice right now. He has spent an hour and a half in eternity with Jesus. And how can I not be joyful about that? We we talk about what we need when when we're looking for joy. And I found it interesting as I popped up our Zoom program here uh, just a little bit ago to get it started. There was a banner across the uh, Zoom webpage that said, we have developed resources to help you through this challenging time. And I thought that was kind of funny. It just said, click here. And uh, if only we could just click here. And that would solve everything. Um, but the reality is we have joy because we have Christ. Uh, and that makes all the difference in the world. All of you out there know that. And I, I could sense even that uh, you in your home, you know that too. Um, so to make up for a lack of music, maybe, and we have had very little music, uh, at least the ability to sing for several months here, um, I'm going to give you a large dose of Christmas music in the sermons this year. And, and I'm not preaching from the song, songs itself, uh, but from God's Word. Uh, the song and the story behind the song will serve as an illustration of what God has taught us in his Bible. Um, many, not all of the Christian hymns and songs, are packed with theological expression and historical explanation. And in a few words, they're able to tell us the Christmas story of the birth of Christ um, in a musical way. Uh, and music helps us to remember the message. Uh, music helps us in a lot of ways. We're, we're going to look at all those traditional songs I have on my list, uh, Joy to the World. Uh, it came upon a midnight clear. I heard the bells on Christmas Day. Um, Hark the Herald Angels Sing, uh, O Holy Night, Silent Night, O Little Town of Bethlehem, uh, Thou Didst Leave Thy Throne. Those are the ones I, I'm hoping to highlight over the next uh, three weeks of Sundays and our Christmas Eve Eve service, which will be December 23rd. Um, we will also air that on, on our internet too. Um, but this morning, let's look at the term joy to the world um as we already did we spent a little time in psalm 98 and that's where i want to start here this morning um i want to note something with you as we first open up psalm 98 and take a look at it here uh there is no identity given to the writer of this song if it were david uh you know we would try to find a place that this song would fit in his life, and and so we would move it around historically. If it was written by a historical uh, by a Levite, uh, we would probably assume that it belongs to a choir, and maybe a, it's set for a worship service in the temple in Jerusalem. But the reality is, the songwriter never identifies himself. And he doesn't give us any instructions with it on when to sing it or where to sing it or those kind of things. We, In other words, we have the freedom with the introduction of the psalm to set it in any place where our hearts are ready for worship. Um, the psalm has a simple division in it. Um, verse 1 through 3. 
remarking on what the Lord has done, if you read through those words, you can see they're, they're expressive of past tense. Um, verse 4 to 9, remarking basically on what the Lord will do, he takes it into the present tense for a little while, but the last verse especially, he talks about things that are coming as well. Uh, we might even find that we can break it into two separate comings of our Lord. In this sense, verse 1 through 3 might highlight more the idea of his first coming to save. Um, and verse 4 through 9, the second coming to rule. Our connection with the psalm is, is a reflection of his second coming. That's That's the second part of it that has translated into the song, Joy to the World. Much of what we read in the first part reminds us of the angelic visit. I'm going to take you back just for a few minutes and follow along. You can pull this up in your, your Bibles as we read. Um, but in Luke chapter 2, when we talk about what the Lord has done, uh, for us on this side of the cross, we look back and we, we could read these words very clearly. Luke 2, verse 10, verse 11. But the angel said to them, Do not be afraid, for behold, I bring you good news of great joy, which will be for all the people. For today in the city of David there has been born for you a Savior, who is Christ the Lord. So we can start with the shepherds in Bethlehem and say, Okay, that's part of the story. Uh, the angel also visited Mary. If you back up in Luke chapter 1, uh, verse 30 through 33, the angel said to her, Do not be afraid, Mary, for you have found favor with God. And behold, you will conceive in your womb and bear a son, and you shall name him Jesus. He will be great. He will be called the Son of the Most High. And the Lord God will give him the throne of his father David. And he will reign over the house of Jacob forever, and his kingdom will have no end. So again, the promise of his coming. Later in Matthew, uh, earlier rather in Matthew, when the angel visited Joseph in chapter number 1, uh, verse number 20, Matthew one twenty, uh, the angel of the Lord appeared to Joseph in a dream, saying, Joseph, son of David, do not be afraid to take Mary as your wife, for the child who has been conceived in her is of the Holy Spirit. She will bear a son, and you shall call his name Jesus, for he will save his people from their sins. Now, putting all that together, what do we have? We have the promise of one coming. His name is Jesus. He's a savior. He's for all the people, and he saves them from their sins. Very much what Simeon brought up when Jesus was taken into the temple on the 40th day, uh, the day of, of um, the offering that was meant to be given. Um, Simeon met Mary and Joseph there in the temple, and it says in Luke chapter 2, verse 28, that he took him, took Jesus, into his arms and blessed God and said, Now, Lord, you are releasing your bondservant to depart in peace according to your word, for my eyes have seen your salvation, which you have prepared in the presence of all people, a light of revelation to the Gentiles, and the glory of your people, Israel. That's great news, folks. That's great news for everybody, Jew and Gentile. All of us, 
for we need salvation from sin. And this is the promise of his coming. The the first couple of verses you see in Psalm 98, it talks about he's done wonderful things. Charles Spurgeon says we have a new song before us. Because he has come and seen and conquered. Jesus, our king, has lived a marvelous life, died a marvelous death, risen by a marvelous resurrection, and ascended marvelously into heaven. By his divine power, he has sent forth the Holy Spirit doing marvels. And by that sacred energy, his disciples have also wrought marvelous things and astonished all the earth. Idols have fallen, superstitions have withered, systems have, of error have fled, and empires of cruelty have perished. For all this, he deserves the highest praise. And I agree with that. The song, folks, is still the same. It's still the same. This this song that the psalmist calls us to sing because he's done wonderful things. See, times have changed, we know. Nations have changed, we know. We still see the rise and fall of so many things. We live in a world of technologies that our ancestors never dreamed of. We travel about at speeds unheard of for thousands of years. We get our news instantly. We, we meet in a single place for worship. I'm in one room. You're in another room. People are in other houses and some very far away from here. And yet we are still worshiping together. <laughs> That's such a fascinating thing to me. Ours is a commercial society. I know you know that. But it's a society that seeks new ideas and quickly tires of the novelties of last month or even yesterday. Yet, the song is the same. The song is the same. There is no other savior to speak of. There will be no replacements for him. There is no other victory. There is no one else who's conquered sin. No one else who's lived a visibly righteous life. No one else who has both the mercy and the faithfulness to see all things through. No one else has the name that can be heard throughout the whole world to save from sin. We have brothers and sisters in Australia, in Nigeria, in Uganda, in South Sudan, in Ukraine, in Puerto Rico, in Brazil, and all over the United States, and here in our own community. And yet we're all saved by this same Savior by the same blood, by the same wisdom, by that same power. Our song is their song. The styles may differ. The instruments may differ. The tune may even differ. But it is the Lord to whom we sing. Sing to the Lord a new song, it starts. This is what he has done. Wonderful things. His right hand, verse 1 says, his holy arm have gained the victory for him. The Lord has made known his salvation. He has revealed his righteousness in the sight of the nations. He has remembered his loving kindness and his faithfulness in the house of Israel. All the ends of the earth have seen the salvation of our God. Can you possibly improve upon that? <laughs> I can't. I'd like to encourage you, and I always do this. Every year I do this, and, and I'm waiting for somebody to jump up and say, I'll do it. I'd like you to write a song, all right? I know that's a challenge for some of us. But I want you to think about what you see here. And if it's singing so, a song to the Lord, a new song, put your hand to it. Try it. 
And if you do, let me give you some guidelines, okay? First of all, make sure it's a song that centers on the Lord. Right? Put him as the center of the song. Second, make it a song that speaks of what he has done for you. A testimony. Third, make it a song that the assembly of believers can heartily join in with you. All right? This is a psalmist calling for others. Oh, sing to the Lord a new song, for he has done wonderful things. And do you need any material to work with? Just look at the Gospels. About his first coming, he got a baby born in Bethlehem. And we will never lack anything to sing about there. Angels, shepherds, kings, if you call them wise men, whatever. uh, The manger, uh, Mary, Joseph, Bethlehem. We've got many themes. Go theological if you want. Sing of his victory. Sing of his right hand. Sing of his holy arm. Sing of his salvation. Sing of his righteousness. His remembrance, his mercy, his faithfulness to all his people, his display of salvation to all the nations. Do you have enough material to write about yet? But don't stop there. Don't stop there. Add a second verse and sing about what he has promised to do for you. I challenge you in this. Uh, Much like a father once challenged his own son. I take you back to 16... 74. As a baby being born, his parents named him Isaac. Isaac Watts. Watts is his last name. At the age of five, he learned Latin. That's pretty impressive. (laughs) How many of us even know uh, a Latin or two word? Uh, At the age of five, he learned Latin. At the age of nine, he learned Greek. I'm impressed. Uh, At the age of 11, he learned French. At the age of 13, he learned Hebrew. Now, that's quite a task, too. Go back to the age of seven. He already was thinking theologically and how it applied to him personally. He wrote an acrostic to summarize his understanding of what he knew. This is seven-year-old, okay? Using the letters of his name and giving a line to every letter in it. I, I am vile, polluted, I'm a vile, polluted lump of earth. S. So I've continued every since my birth. A. Although Jehovah, grace doth daily give me. A. As sure this monster, Satan, will deceive me. C. Come, therefore, Lord, from Satan's claws, reveal, relieve me. W. Wash me in thy blood, O Christ. A. And grace divine impart. T. Then search and try the corners of my heart. T. That I, in all things, might be fit to do. S. Service to thee and thy praises too. All right. That's, that's pretty complicated. That's taking Isaac Watts and spelling it out in a phrase. And let me read to you what it says all together. I am a vile, polluted lump of earth. So I've continued ever since my birth. Although Jehovah grace doth daily give me, as sure this monster, Satan, will deceive me. Come therefore, Lord, from Satan's claws relieve me. Wash me in thy blood, O Christ, and grace divine impart. Then search and try the corners of my heart, that I in all things may be fit to do service to thee and thy praises too. 
Those are wonderful thoughts. That's a seven-year-old speaking. Amazing. Now jump ahead to his 18th year. One Sunday after returning from a service, uh, he was complaining about the music in the worship program. He thought that the music was dissatisfying and even used the word deplorable. Uh, churches sang from the Book of Psalms, yes, but the tunes and the structures were almost unsingable. They, that's really concerned Isaac, and he said so to his father. And his father, in reply, gave him a challenge. And for that challenge, we benefit still today. Well then, young man, why don't you give us something better to sing? And next Sunday, he presented his first hymn to the congregation. And they responded enthusiastically. The next two years, he wrote a new hymn for every single Sunday. In his life, he wrote about 600 hymns. One of the things he, he desired to do was, was to turn all 150 psalms into Christian hymns. And by the time he was about 45 years old, he published a hymn book. Uh, it was called The Psalms of David Imitated in the Language of the New Testament. There was more to the title than that, but it was a big, big book. And in that, we'd recognize quite a few of the songs, like, Oh God, Our Help in Ages Past, that's from Psalm 90. Jesus Shall Reign, Psalm 72. Other songs in our book, Am I a Soldier of the Cross? I Sing the Mighty Power of God. We're Marching to Zion. Uh, Alas, and did my Savior bleed? When I survey the wondrous cross. And then Psalm 98. His title for it was The Messiah's Coming and Kingdom. And we now carry it with the term Joy to the World. It's a psalm of rejoicing for the marvelous ways in which God has protected and restored his chosen people. The psalm anticipates a time when the Lord will be the God of the whole earth. That's the last half of the words here. What the Lord will do. Listen to it in verse 4. Shout joyfully to the Lord, all the earth. Break forth and sing for joy and sing praises. Sing praises to the Lord with the lyre, with the lyre and the sound of melody, with trumpets and the sound of the horn. Shout joyfully before the King, the Lord. Let the sea roar. And all it contains, the world and those who dwell in it. Let the rivers clap their hands and the mountains sing together for joy before the Lord, for he is coming to judge the earth. He will judge the world with righteousness and his people with equity. We're looking forward to a great day. A great day when the Lord will set up his throne here on this earth and he will rule in this world and there will be righteousness. And there will be cause for joy. This is what Isaac Watts anticipated when he put down the words that we have read so many times and sung so many times. Joy to the world. The Lord has come. Let earth receive her king. Let every heart prepare him room. And heaven and nature sing. Joy to the world. The Savior reigns. Let men their songs employ, while fields and floods, rocks, hills, and plains repeat the sounding joy. No more let sin and sorrows grow, nor thorns infest the ground. 
He comes to make his blessings flow as far as the curse is found. He rules the world with truth and grace and makes the nations prove the glories of his righteousness and wonders of his love. Precious words to us. I don't know how many times I've heard people complain and say, well, that's not technically a Christmas song. They say, oh, that's a that's a second coming song. And, and you just saw that. You saw that very clearly in those verses uh, that I just read to you. And Isaac Watts never called it a Christmas song either. How, how did it ever come to a place where we'd sing it at Christmas time? I think the first thing that gives us a clue is joy to the world. The Lord has come. That's that's the joy that we experience at our Christmas time. But here's one thing I want to set before you concerning all this. These things were not accomplished in his first coming, and it wasn't meant to be that way. He was sent, if you recall, to seek and save the lost. Kind of like the first three verses or so of this song. There could be no second coming unless there was a first coming. And since we believe that everything the Lord has promised to do, he will do, we look with anticipation to the fulfillment of these words. In other words, many of our songs look back and remember what Christ has done. This is one of the songs that even leaves us with anticipation that this is yet to happen. This is going to happen. And we still, like the the ancient prophets of old and the, the Jews that looked forward to the Messiah coming, we have that anticipation. The Lord is going to come. We've been talking about that all year, haven't we? But he is coming. And that should fill us with anticipation this time of year as well. I believe it will be pretty soon from all the indications I've ever seen. But uh, with all that said, we can anticipate. And so this song has two levels to it, two two layers for us. One is what he's done to give us the victory, and we rejoice in that. What marvelous things he has done. And then the fact that he's coming again is just as sure as the fact that he came the first time. We can be sure Christ is coming. So the song says, oh, sing to the Lord a new psalm. This is what we're called to, our Our psalm is for everyone to sing. Shout joyfully to the Lord, all the earth. All the choirs and all the instruments on the earth are really not sufficient for this job. Let the sea roar, he says. Let's bring in nature. Let the world and all who dwell in it, let the rivers join in. Let them start clapping their hands. Let the mountains sing together uh, as well. We need nature involved here, too. We have a great reason the song, do we not? He has done wonderful things. He gives victory. He gives salvation. He reveals righteousness. He remembers mercy and faithfulness. The fact is this, and when you want to put it down into simple terms, we know that God loves us. His word is full of that information, especially my favorite verse in Romans 5 verse 8. God demonstrates his own love toward us. What was that demonstration? It was a demonstration of his son. He gave his son. Even while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. What an incredible display uh, of love. What an incredible display. 
See, God could tell us in his word, I love you, and put it in print. We all like to get cards that say things like that from somebody very dear to us. We like to write those little notes and stick them where they can find it too. We like to say those words. But God was not content with just writing it down. He could have written it in a dozen ways or more. Obviously, it's in his word. It could have been written on the sky. It could have been written in the earth. It could have been written on mountainsides. He's not just content with saying so. He had to exhibit it. He had to show you what love is. So he did. He sent his son. And that's why John, if you read John's gospel, you're not going to find a baby in a manger. You're not going to find wise men traveling from afar. You're not going to find shepherds uh, out in the field caring for their sheep. You're not going to hear the story of Mary and the angel or Joseph and the angel. Uh, you're not going to hear those stories in John. John gets right to the point when he gets to verse number 14 when he says, The word became flesh. And dwelt among us, and we saw his glory, the glory as of the only begotten from the Father, full of grace and truth. John testified about him, John the Baptist, and cried out, saying, This was he of whom I said, He who comes after me has a higher rank than I, for he existed before me. For of his fullness we have all received, and grace upon grace. For the law was given through Moses. Grace and truth were realized through Jesus Christ. No one has seen God at any time. The only begotten God who is in the bosom of the Father, he has explained him. What a beautiful passage. The word became flesh and dwelt among us. As John is writing those words, I, I could only imagine him reflecting upon those years that he walked along the shore with Christ. He watched the miracles. He, he remember, he even saw the crucifixion. He was there at the tomb. He saw the resurrected Lord. He saw him ascend back up into heaven. He was there at the transfiguration. He was there in the garden when Jesus was praying. Yeah, he fell asleep. But with all these things, John, just reflecting upon those words, I could almost see him as he's writing them down in his gospel. And the word became flesh and dwelt among us, and we saw his glory. Do you long to see that? Do you long to see that? Today, when you, when you think about what you anticipate the most, the most in your life, what do you long for? What is it that you wait and still wait to see? No one has seen God at any time, John is writing here. The only begotten God who is in the bosom of the Father, he has explained him. He has revealed him. There's a day coming, folks, when we get to see Jesus. <laughs> Do you anticipate that? Do you long for that? That's the rejoicing that we share when we talk about this song, Joy to the World, it's, it's not to be put on a shelf and ignored because it doesn't seem to match what the theologians call Christmas time. I think it's perfect for it. I think it is because we have joy because of Christ. The world is saying, where's joy? Where's joy? And here we're saying we have it. We have joy. 
We know what that rejoicing is. Right now, because Christ has come, and because he saved us, and we, of all people, know what joy is. But we also anticipate a greater joy yet. A greater joy, one that Peter describes as inexplicable. Um, We cannot even explain it, the joy that we anticipate when we see Jesus. When we go to see Jesus, we anticipate his coming for us. All the more reason to have this joy, folks. All the more reason. So I ask you even now, as we're about to close with the singing of this song, Joy to the World, what is it that you anticipate? I think that was my favorite part of Christmas. As a kid, I was I was so excited for Christmas, I'd make myself sick. <laughs> I don't know if you're that way, but anxiety would build up inside of me because I was so excited about it that I would I would be ill because I was so excited. Um my children were that way growing up as well. Um I know the gifts were always something they wanted to see. Uh, they wanted to know what they were going to get for Christmas. We actually had to lock them up in the attic, had a padlock, locked the door so they couldn't get into them, wouldn't put it out till Christmas Eve, and then we brought out all the gifts after they went to sleep. And I don't know if they could sleep or not. Uh, it was not uncommon to actually hear packages being moved around under the tree at 2 or 3 in the morning. Um but it was anticipation. I thought it was fun. It, it wasn't something to rebuke somebody for. Uh, it wasn't to, you know, get angry or to to ground them because, you know, uh, they were not in bed and they weren't sleeping. The anticipation was so great. And since I knew it so well as a child, I just, I, I anticipate that every year when we come around to the Christmas season. That's why I like the songs. That's why I like the decorations. I, I I love the season because there's an anticipation here, not just because of what Christ has done, and my anticipation is celebrating that, but what Christ will do, and I anticipate that, and I look forward to what he promises he will do. Let me go through the psalm one more time. Watch it with me and rejoice in it and anticipate what you see. Oh, sing to the Lord a new song, for he has done wonderful things. His right hand and his holy arm have gained the victory for him. The Lord has made known his salvation. He has revealed his righteousness in the sight of the nations. He has remembered his loving kindness and his faithfulness to the house of Israel. All the ends of the earth have seen the salvation of our God. Shout joyfully to the Lord, all the earth. Break forth and sing for joy. Sing praises. Sing praises to the Lord with the lyre. With the lyre and the sound of melody. With trumpets and the sound of the horn. Shout joyfully before the King, the Lord. Let the sea roar and all it contains. The world and those who dwell in it. Let the rivers clap their hands. Let the mountains sing together for joy before the Lord, for he is coming to judge the earth. He will judge the world with righteousness and the peoples with equity. As John writes at the end of the book of Revelation, you remember the words, even so, come quickly, Lord Jesus. Heavenly Father, just a few moments of time we've had this morning to look upon 
the things that brings us joy. What rejoicing there is in our hearts for what you have done. That you would look down upon this earth and see us sinful people and love us still and send your son. What a gift you have given to us. That he should die on our behalf. How unworthy we are of this. That he should die a terrible death and bear our sins upon that cross. Be buried and rise again and give us hope and give us peace and give us mercy and grace and to give us these things that we would have never been able to attain ourselves. We have nothing we could have done, but you've said, I will send my son. And we rejoice in that. We, we've set aside a season, a day, here in December, to remember the birth of our Savior. And though we may not exactly know if December 25th is the right day or not, it's still a good day for us to set aside to remember, once again, that you sent your Son for us, a Savior, who is Christ the Lord. And yet, as believers... We still have anticipation, Lord. We still hope for that day, and we long for that day, and we know that it's coming when our Savior shall come. He first will come for us, that we might go and spend eternity with him. What a day that's going to be, and it could be any moment, and it could be today. We do ask you to come quickly. And then we know it won't be long after that he'll set up his kingdom on this earth. And when he sets that up, this world has never seen a ruler like our Savior. They have never known what righteousness looks like in its full, full bloom in this world, where he governs this world with a rod of iron, and yet with the love and the mercy and the grace and the righteousness that is all him. We long for that day when we see the things of this world made right, the things of this world made right. Lord, there's so many things in our world today that makes us say, even so, come quickly, Lord Jesus. We anticipate another joy yet to come. And as a result of that, here today, we get to sing. We get to sing a song, and maybe it feels new all of a sudden, but it's a song that we've sung before, and a song that we'll keep on singing because it's a song about our Savior. And we've sung it here, we've sung it in many places. But today, Lord, it's an honor, it's a blessing, and it's a joy for us to lift our voices once again and sing praise to our Savior. The Lord has come. The Lord has come. What a joy that is to us. I pray, Lord, for the folks in our congregation, the ones who are challenged in a lot of different ways, struggling in their health or in the situation that they're in right now. Uh, we have some recovering from illnesses and surgeries. We have others who are struggling in different ways. We, as a congregation, are struggling because we're not together. We'd like to be, and we long for the day when that will be true, too. But, Lord, the faithfulness of our God is our joy today. The fact that you're with us is our joy today, the fact that we can sing, no matter where we are, whether we're at home or here we are at the 
on the computer or maybe right here in the sanctuary, we can sing. We can sing joy to the Lord and joy to the world. And may it be, as this world is looking for joy, that they find in us the the joy that they're looking for. May they say, I want what you have. So may we go forth from here with joy on our face, joy in our heart, joy in our attitude, joy in our actions, that the world may see us singing, so to speak, of our Savior and want to know him too. Use us, Lord, as you see fit, and bring glory to your name today. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen.